seated. Good morning again. If you're visiting with us, you don't know, but we're down two pastors today. Uh, we have one traveling. He's from Mississippi, so he went home to visit with his family um, over for Christmas. And then our uh, pastor, Pastor Craig Thompson, is on sabbatical for the next month. He is taking some much-needed time off, personally. I don't know how he's made it as long as he has um, without taking this time. So uh, be in prayer for him as he is uh, struggling to be away from you all. And uh, be in prayer for Kevin as he travels. But know that both of them um, are... Are, are praying on your behalf, and uh, also, uh, nothing's going to slip through the cracks, even though we have some, some changes in, uh, with the, the leadership for the next couple of weeks. If you have a problem, if you have a need, please contact your deacon on call, your life group leader, or one of the pastors. All of our names are in the bulletin. Give us a call. Uh, we are here to serve you. Um, if you're uh, ready, I should have told you this before, please turn to Acts chapter 16. All that was to take up this time, and then I've ruined it. Um, turn to Acts chapter 16. One more thing. Today is the last day, if you haven't given to the Lottie Moon offering. Today is the last day that we'll collect that. That goes directly to missionaries on the mission field. It doesn't stay in one place. It doesn't uh, pay for anything other than to equip people to take the gospel to the world. So today is the last day if you would like to give to the Lottie Moon mission uh, uh, that goes to Lottie Moon. Not, it goes through us to Lottie Moon. Today is the last day to do that. Please do that. Um, we have a goal in mind, and I don't think we've gotten there. Um, so if, uh, be prayerful and be thinking about that as uh, today's your last opportunity. I hope you've all made it to Acts chapter 16. The bulletin says that we're going to read uh, verses 25 through 31, but we're actually going to read 22 through 30 to start off with, and I'll kind of go back and forth. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word uh, and uh, pray that he, uh, he opens it to us and that I don't mess it up. Verse number 22, it says, The crowd joined in attacking them. That's Paul and Silas. And the magistrates tore their garments off, and they gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Let us pray. Father, help us to answer that question this morning and no matter where we are in our lives. And if we know you personally, then we know that you've saved us from eternal uh, wrath. The wrath that we deserve for the payment that we couldn't give, you sent your son to do those things and you have bestowed that payment and you have, he took it on on the cross. Lord, help us to understand this morning what it means to go and do something hard because you've called us to do hard things. Help us to know what it means and what we're to hold on to and how tightly we're to grip when things go bad, when things hurt, and when things get difficult. Lord, help us to follow the example of your word and the example of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. The question we seek to answer this morning is, what do you do when life gets hard? And what do you do when life hurts you? 
when it gets difficult. First, I want you to make the distinction real quick. I want you to nail this down before we ever start. There is a difference between things that are evil and things that hurt. There is a difference between things that are evil and things that hurt. Things that are evil don't always hurt, and things that hurt aren't necessarily evil. Hurt and hard times and difficulty and pain are not always bad things. Hurt and hard times and difficulties are not always bad things. When things get hard, it doesn't necessarily mean that you did something wrong. You may think that if something is hard or if it hurts that you shouldn't be doing it, or you're going down the wrong road, or you've made the wrong decision. Sometimes, though, hurt is telling you, not to do. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you, when something hurts, you shouldn't do it. But consider this. Sometimes, sometimes some things that are hard and that hurt and that are difficult may be telling you that you're doing exactly what you should be doing, that you're doing the right thing. Hard sometimes tells you that you're doing the right thing because in order to have faith, in order to trust, in order to believe, Everything that's written in this book, the Word of God, those things that you trust and those things that you hold on and those things that you believe have to be tested or they're not faith. Sometimes hurt is telling you that you're doing the right thing. Think about it like this. My students have heard this analogy or this story five or six times now, so y'all just bear with me. Everybody else hadn't. Think about it like this. A farmer goes out to his barn one day and he finds a horse in his barn he didn't have that horse when he went to bed the night before so a new horse just showed up his neighbor walks over and says man you got a new horse he says i found him in the barn this morning he says you're a lucky man the farmer says what do i know about luck what do i know about these things the next day the horse kicks open the barn breaks out of his prison and takes off and he's lost farmer comes out his neighbor comes over says your horse is gone that is so unlucky. The farmer looks at his neighbor and says, what do I know about luck? What do I know about these things? The next day, the horse comes back and he brings 20 friends with him and fills the barn. He runs everybody into the barn and he closes the gate himself. I don't know that he actually did that, but the horse comes back. The neighbor comes over and says, what great luck you have that that horse came back. And not only that it came back, that it blessed you with all these other horses. The farmer looks at his neighbor and says, what do I know about luck or these things? The next day, the farmer's son goes out to clean that horse's feet. He picks up one foot and the horse kicks him with the other and breaks his leg. And the neighbor comes over and says, that horse, I just don't know what to say, but other than that horse is bad luck. The farmer says, what do I know about these things? A week or so goes by, the son's laid up with his broke leg, and a militia is coming through their land, and they're collecting all the young men in order to go fight in this foreign war. And they come to the farmer and say, where's your son? And he points out his son and is laying in bed with a broke leg. And they say, nope, we can't use him, and they move on and leave the son. The neighbor comes over and says, what great luck you have that they didn't take your son. The farmer says, what do I know about these things? Through all those things, the farmer didn't complain. The farmer didn't say what or why or how. He just says, what do I know? If you get nothing out of this message this morning, know this. Time is a necessary component of understanding. 
Sometimes when you start going through something hard, you're not going through something that's wrong. You're going through something that's right, and it's just going to take a little time for God to show you what he's doing. Here in Acts 16, we're going to answer the question, what do we do when things get hard? You live by this prescription. The, pre the prescription we see that Paul has here in, and Silas have in Acts 16. There you process, you praise, and then you proclaim God's glory and gospel. Hard is going to happen, and you're going to make it, but you need a few things in order to make it. So number one, this morning, you have to process the situation. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? In order to process, you have to begin before the situation starts. The hardest thing to do is try to figure out what you're going to do when something runs into you and you've never prepared for it, right? The hardest thing to do is to figure out what to do when you never saw something coming. You have to begin in your own heart first. To process the situation, you have to begin in your own heart. And you have to be willing to do the work in order to have some things to hold on to. You have to set your disposition before it gets hard, before it gets difficult, before it hurts, ahead of time, ahead before heart happens. You have to do some things. If you don't, you'll be overwhelmed. All of us have hit that situation in our lives or, or that thing we didn't see coming or that thing we knew was coming and we didn't prepare for. That's even worse. That thing that you know that's going to be hard when it gets here and instead of doing something about it beforehand, you let it get all the way to you and then it runs into you and you don't know what to do. You'll be overwhelmed. Here in this account, Paul and Silas are going to go through something, something very hard. And to reconcile exactly why they do it, no one knows, other than the fact that we know that all of us, Christians, all of us who love and who follow Jesus, we're sent out with a message and a witness. And no matter how Paul went into that prison, he went with that message and that witness. He was willing to go do a hard thing. Paul was able to make it because he had some things in order beforehand. He had set some things up in his heart. Right? He has set his disposition to say, when life comes at me and it hurts, this is what's going to happen. He had some convictions set that he would not let go of no matter the cost. Charles Stanley has the best definition of conviction I've ever heard. It's a truth from the Word of God that you are willing to stand for regardless of the consequences. Paul had some things set in his heart. So when he went into something hard or when hard happened to Paul, when he was stoned or when he was shipwrecked or when he was beaten or when people blasphemed his name, people blasphemed the name of Christ in front of him, when things got bad in Paul's life, Paul had some things that he had already set in his heart to hold on to. So no matter what came, he was going to stand for those things regardless of the consequences and so should you and I have some things set in our heart that when things get hard, we're going to stand for these things because we know them to be true, because they're from the Word of God, because God said. If you've never considered this and you'd like to start, one of the reasons that Acts 16 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is because it's the foundational count for the church at Philippi. And it's the place where Paul will write the letter of Philippians back to. At the end of that letter, Paul gives you in chapter 4 of Philippians, three convictions that you can stand for regardless of the consequences. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your requests be known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds forever. He says if you're worried about something, you can give it to God, and God promises to guard your heart with that burden that you gave him. 
Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that doesn't mean I can go run a race that I'm not prepared to run. It means that no matter if life's up or if life's down, I can make it because it's Christ who works in me to strengthen me. And the highs are in the lows. And Philippians 4.19 promises that God will provide for all of your needs according to his riches and more through Christ Jesus. If you've never considered having some things set in your own heart that you can hold on to, start with those. That's where I started. Way back when, when I started reading Philippians and Acts chapter 16. Things that you can stand for regardless of the consequences because you know them to be true. You need to have those set in your heart in order to process what's going on. In order to not be overwhelmed. If things get hard, you have some things that you're going to hold on to. Think about the alternative. The alternative of not setting some things straight before everything gets out of whack or before things hurt and before things get hard. No doubt you found yourself where you've been overwhelmed and frustrated and you felt lost and angry and confused and worried. All those unbelievably negative emotions, those things that drive you to depression, those things that drive you to anxiety and those things that hurt you and overwhelm you and you can't even focus on anything else because you're so worried because of these things and these emotions that are happening inside of you. Those convictions that I just told you remedy all of those things. Be anxious for nothing. I can do all things. God will provide according to his riches and glory. Look at Paul in Acts 16. He has set some things in order so that when it got hard, he had confidence and he had convictions. He was able to praise God when they beat him and threw him into jail without a trial for doing a good thing. The reason that Paul is where he is is because he cast out a demon from a girl that was being tormented and that was being used. Paul did a good thing. And those people rose up against him and blasphemed his whole life. They called him a Jew. See, racism is older than, you know, a couple of hundred years. They blasphemed his name. They said, these Jews have come. And so he was persecuted because of who he was. And no doubt you and I will be too, but he had some things set in order. Look at Paul and Silas. Things got hard. And, look, and they looked around and they said, I can do a hard thing. Let's go in. See, at any point in time, Paul was a Roman citizen. He, all he would have to utter is this phrase, civis Romanus. I am a Roman citizen. And they would have had to drop everything that they were doing and give him a trial. At any point in time, Paul could have got out of what he was in. But he chose to go in instead of get out. See, sometimes hard tells you that you're doing the right thing. Sometimes when things hurt, it means that you're supposed to hold on tighter and not let go. Number two. Praise God for who he is, not where you are. Praise God no matter where you are. Look at Paul and Silas in the midst of this thing that's going wrong. What are they doing? It says they were praying and singing hymns to God. How is that possible after being beaten? And these shackles are a little bit different than maybe the shackles that you may understand them to be. These shackles went up to about right here. They started at his ankles and went up to about right here. So your knees couldn't bend. So you couldn't sit down or hang. These shackles went up to here and they threw him into the darkest place in that whole prison, the inner prison. He was uncomfortable. He was in pain. He'd been flogged with these things that they're unbelievable looking. 
They're like nine little switches all tied together. And he'd been beaten with these things. And they threw him in there. And through all of that, Paul and Silas grit their teeth, say, I'm going to go do a hard thing. And then we're going to go in. And they hold on tighter to the things they knew to be true. See, if you only praise God because of where you are, then you aren't just praising God for who he is. You're only praising God when it feels good. When life is good, if that's the only time that you can praise God, then you don't really understand who God is and who you are. That's not why God is praiseworthy. God isn't praiseworthy because he makes you feel good. God is praiseworthy because of who he is. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's about him always and forever. This is why preparing and processing are so important. So when those things come and hit you and it starts hurting and you're overwhelmed and things get difficult, then you already have these convictions that you say you're gonna hold on to and then you're not gonna worry and that you're gonna believe you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and you know that God will provide for you. These things that you know to be true, the things that Paul wrote back to Philippian church and say, see, I went through it. I was a witness and a testimony to you. See, the gospel has only been on the European soil for a couple of weeks at this point. And they're going to go on to Thessalonica, and they're going to get to Thessalonica. And in verse, uh, Acts 17, verse 6, it says, These men who came and turned the world upside down. That was their testimony after just a few weeks on European soil. They've turned the world upside down by holding on what they, to what they knew to be true. That's what we need to do. It's what we must do in order to take our witness and our message to a world that's lost. Remember that time is a necessary component to understanding. You're not in the spot that you're in for no reason. Some of us are in our own prisons today, in our own difficulties and problems, in our own uh, point of discernment where we're trying to, in, and trying to understand what's going on, in our own hurts and our own pains. You're not in the spot you are for no reason. Maybe you're hurting in order to be a witness. See, that's how the University of Christianity works. The University of Christianity works says that you're educated, you're tested, and then you're promoted. You know these things to be true. Those things have to be tested in order for you to really hold on to them and believe them. Because it's just a information. It's not faith unless it's tested. And then you're promoted. All throughout the Bible, this thing is how it works. God takes you from this difficulty to that. And if you've ever been through something, then now you're a witness as to how to make it. You're a witness with a message. Maybe before you can ever tell anybody about Jesus, you have to look like him first. Acts chapter 11, verse number 26, it says, and this place, in Antioch, they were first known as Christians. It's the first time the word was ever used to describe the people that follow Christ as Christians. Because what a Christian really is, is a little Christ. That's what Christ, I-A-N, means. It means little Christ. The people in Antioch were doing so many things that looked like Jesus, they began to say, hey, they look like little Jesuses. Maybe in order to, to, to help somebody, you have to be a witness to who Christ is before you can tell them the message. You have to be a good person first. What would have become of our jailer? What would have become of our jailer if everyone would have left when the walls were shook and the shackles came off? 
He drew his sword to kill himself. If everybody was gone, who would have stopped him? But it was the witness. It says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. No doubt a night unlike that jail had ever experienced. The praises of God ringing off the walls as everyone fell asleep. What would have happened to the jailer had everyone taken the easy way out when it was presented? Their shackles fell off. The doors flew open. Paul and Silas were free. They'd been praying and they'd been singing hymns to God and the doors come open. All they had to do is stand up and leave. What would have happened to the jailer? There'd be one more dead jailer. Maybe you are where you are to do a hard thing in order to save somebody else, in order to tell them the message, to be a witness first and to be a proclaimer of the gospel. Think about it like this. Parents, think about it like this. Those of you who've had children, you've taken them to the doctor. Think about it like this. A mom takes her child to the doctor, and on the way to the doctor, the kid says, where are we going? And the mom says, we're going to the doctor. And the kid gets nervous and says, why? Because we need to see him in order to keep you well. We need to go see the doctor in order to keep you well. They get to the doctor's office. They go into the, to the room. The doctor comes in with a shot. The mom holds down the kid, this three- or four-year-old child, while the doctor stabs him with a needle. Think about how this kid feels. We're going to the doctor in order to make me well, and you just stab me with a needle. On the way home, the kid's kicking this thing around in his head. Mom told me that it was for my good. The doctor come in and it wasn't for my good. Now I'm on my way home, my leg hurts. And mama lied to me. <laughs> on top of all that, I watched mama pay that man <laughs> for what he did to me. 10 or 12 years later, there is a disease ravaging the land. And the shot that that kid got inoculated him to that disease. And finally, he understands. That thing that hurt was for my good. And then mama meant that it was to keep me well. And the doctor did what they have to do. Before we move to our last point, remember that time is a necessary component to understanding. But everybody has a job. As that time approaches and that time passes, because time is necessary, especially when it gets hard and is painful. Think about the obligations of the people in that little story. The doctor was obligated to give the best care he could possibly, or she could possibly. The parent is responsible for seeking that care. Listen carefully. The parent is responsible for seeking the best care possible for their children. No doubt, if we're talking medically, you all would agree with me, but how about spiritually? Do you seek the best care possible for your children? That's your responsibility. They're responsible for taking that child to the doctor, for holding them down even when it hurt them, and then for paying the cost of that pain, and then for paying the cost of that, ch that child hating that parent for a couple of days until that leg wasn't sore anymore. The parent's responsible for the cost all the way around. The child is responsible for bearing the hurt and endeavoring to understand young people, students, college students. Bear the hurt even when you don't understand. Your parents are trying to give you the best care possible. 
and it's their job, and it's their obligation, and if they're doing it wrong, that's between them and God. They should be doing it right. You just obey, and you bear the pain even when it hurts. Pain may save your life one day, but only when everyone does their job. Last point, proclaim the gospel. Paul and Silas went through all that, all the pain and heartache and hurt. An unbelievable night in that jail in order to utter this phrase. Verse number 32 of Philippians chapter 16 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's our hope in all things. It's our hope firstly in our salvation, but it's our hope mostly in all things. Believe in Jesus. Paul had set some things in order so that when it got hard, and it got hard a lot for Paul, he would know on what he could stand, on whom he could trust, and on how to make it when it hurt. Paul praised God, not for where he was, not for who he was personally, or not for how he felt, but because God was God. And so is worthy of our praise. Paul had prepared. He had been the example. He had processed the situation. He had praised God for not who or where he was, but for who God is. And now he proclaims the gospel. Let's recap and understand all that happened and all that would come because of the promises that we have in the Bible. We understand that when Jesus said it's going to get hard, he meant it. If you follow after Christ, he said, if you, I suffer, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. It's going to get hard. Jesus also said, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. This is hard for us. Jesus said, if you want to follow after me, you must deny yourself. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 24, deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. That means say no to everything that you want. Everything that your heart desires, you must deny yourself first because it's seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then all of these things we added unto you. If you go after Jesus and God first, then everything else comes. You must deny yourself and take up the cross and walk and do the hard thing when it hurts and when it's difficult. Just because something is hard and something is hurt doesn't make it wrong. Maybe God calls you to do hard things in order for those around you to see his son and how he lives in you. Now, before we wrap this thing up, think about where victory actually is, the location of victory in your life. What would need to happen in order to bring you out of your prison? Think about the location of victory in your life. Victory is on the other side of the harder or the difficult thing that hurts you. It's not on this side. The free setting that you want in your heart, you have to deny. You have to say, I'll take up my cross because there's not a single cross that's been easy to carry ever. And praise God that it wasn't easy to carry. Difficult was a part of the life that Jesus lived. And praise God that it was difficult because Jesus didn't come to do an easy thing in an easy way or look for the easy way out. He was looking to his Father and he was came to set captives free. Nothing about the cross to bear should ever be easy and praise God it never has been. Jesus didn't come to do it easy. Difficult was a part of the nature of his calling. 
and it is for you and for me. If you're a Christian or you're a parent and you want it easy, then you're in the wrong line of work. Neither one of them should be easy. We're called to steward and care for to the best of our abilities those who have been trusted with us. That means our children and those around us. We're called to exemplify and praise and proclaim. Author James Stewart of Scotland said this considering Jesus' victory over sin and death. The very triumphs of his foes. Think about this. The people that were endeavoring to defeat who Jesus said he was. The very triumphs of his foes he used for their defeat. He compelled their dark achievements to subserve his ends, not theirs. They nailed him to a tree, not knowing that by that very act they were bringing the world to his feet. They gave him a cross, not guessing that he would make it a throne. They flung him outside the city gates to die, not knowing that at the very moment they were lifting up the gates of the universe to let the king come in. They thought to root out his doctrines, not understanding that they were implanting imperishably in the hearts of men the very name they intended to destroy. They thought that they had God with his back to the wall, pinned, helpless, and defeated. They did not know that it was God himself who had tracked them down. He did not conquer in spite of the dark mystery of evil. He conquered through it. And so should we. When it gets hard and it gets difficult, we're to hold on tighter. Because just maybe we're doing the wrong, we're not doing the wrong thing, we're doing the right thing. That's the gospel. It has the power to change lives. If we continue reading in verses 16 through, in chapter 16, verses 31 and through 33, it says, What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. See, the gospel changes not only individually, but generationally. You can't go into a dark place with a light and not expect to change that dark place. The darkness will run and hide. Maybe you're the only person to live in your house that's saved. Be brighter. Do a harder thing. Hold on tighter. Store up some convictions, some things that you know to be true. Maybe today you're being called to do that hard thing like Paul and Silas because hard is going to happen and every one of us have a place in this story. But maybe today you've been in prison and you don't know what to do. But maybe you're the jailer in order to nail some things down eternally. You need Jesus to save you. In order to begin following after him, you need to first accept him. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Whoever you are today, as we stand and we sing, you have a job to do. If you're a parent, then it's not easy. You're in the wrong line of work if you want it to be. If you're a Christian, it's not easy either. You're in the wrong line of work because we're called to be witnesses. If you don't know Jesus, believe on him and you will be saved. Whoever you are as we stand, you have an opportunity or a job to get some things right before you leave today. Please stand and sing with us and do those things and get them right during this time of response, during our invitation. See, Paul and Silas went into that prison not knowing how they would come out. They just knew what was to be true to them. They said, we're going to go do a hard thing because the cross isn't going to be easy ever. We're going to bear it and we're going to hold on tighter. However you have to get right today, 
Come and get right. If you need those convictions, begin storing them up. Pray to God that he shows them that through his word, if you need to be saved, I'll be standing right down here. Don't leave without knowing some things to be true. As we sing.